Hi, this is Conan O'Brien. You're listening to Dana, the late night cat. Welcome to Radio Rehab, your news and entertainment dealer. I'm Dana Keys here with producer Shar. What's going on? God, I love Funkadelic. And I love that for City of Gold, that Jonathan Gold, like you're watching the movie and you find out he's into Funkadelic and he does uh, guest DJ slots on KCRW and that was so cool to me. So I, I told him that we would open the show with some Funkadelic. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually going to watch it tonight. So I'm like... And I've I'm really excited because listening to all the interviews right. on Friday, and um, you it's it's very interesting sitting in on a junket. I don't think I've never I don't know if I've ever really done it like almost like a PR person. Oh right, you know like where I get to sit there for all these interviews, and then you get to you know like you experience what the different angles are from your different shows. And for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, all of the go-to production shows here, uh, Radio Rehab, well, three of us, what was those? Yeah, Radio Rehab, Bitch Talk, and Sports Meets Beer. We had an entertainment junket um, on Friday. Jonathan Gold and Laura Gabbert, Jonathan Gold being the subject of City of Gold, a new documentary, Laura Gabbert being the director as well as the producer, they came in and we each got to interview them. You know, we did our own separate shows. Like, I interviewed them, and then someone else did, and then someone else did. Like, But producer Shar sat through all of them without having seen the documentary yet. So it's going to be really interesting well, for you to see it now. There's that, and then all of the different personalities, like what you guys cared about. Yeah, you know? I know. It's so interesting because they're sports meets beer, and they own a restaurant, and they're into sports, and they serve food. And then there's me. I'm from Los Angeles, and I was majorly connecting to Jonathan Gold on that because, like I was saying, I really felt like this this documentary was an open love letter to Los Angeles. And living in the Bay Area, there's just a lot of L.A. hatred from people who really don't know a lot about L.A. And there are really hateable things about L.A. I don't I don't want to say, <laughs> I don't want to come off acting like there's nothing wrong with Los Angeles, you know, because there's Beverly Hills and Beverly Hills what? Sucks. So, and, you know, I apologize for the Kardashians, but I shouldn't have to because they're not my problem. That's basically what I'm saying. But I love, love Jonathan Gold. I love his writing. You know, it was so funny because I was, I was, just talking to someone about this, I felt like I knew him. You know, I spent an hour and a half screening the movie in in the best way you could screen a movie, in bed with my cats. And so I watch, and then I see him, and he comes in, and I'm like, hey, man, you know, like, we just hung out last night. And he's kind of like, I, I don't know you. You're, you know, <laughs> like, then I had to introduce myself. Well, the, uh, I think, well, you didn't catch any of this, and I don't even know if I told you this. When you left the room, and I brought the guys from Sports Meets Beer in, First thing out of uh, Jonathan Gold's mouth is like, oh, she's not shy. <laughs> <laughs> that is so fun. That's that's great. I love that. Because he kind of was shy. And I felt like I had to warm up. But what's interesting is we were talking about I, the high school I went to is located um, on the campus of Cal State LA. It's in Alhambra. And in this movie, you get to see Jonathan Gold go to all of these different places that people who are not from LA or you know don't live there probably have never heard of and didn't even know was in LA. So I'm explaining to him where my high school was, and he goes, oh, you mean Loxa? Like, he totally knows of it, and both he and Laura, their kids go to school where they might end up going to Loxa, which, for those of you who don't know, is LA County High School for the Arts. You know, which sometimes I just feel like I peaked in high school. My high school was so cool. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like I would have so dropped out of school 
had, I mean, which is funny because I barely attended that one. But I mean, I would have so dropped out of school if I couldn't, didn't get to go to such a cool high school, you know, with such cool people. I was in high school, not with like the crappy things that people have to deal with it in high school, like jocks and cheerleaders. There were none of that. I was in high school with artists, you know, with just really cool to the core people. Um, a lot of whom I'm still friends with. So I hope they'll go see this movie. It's just, there was a lot of reminiscing for me in this movie. Uh, it really makes my job easy when I see something that I connect to, I like on a million levels, and I like the subject. I like the way the movie was done. I liked everything about it. And then talking to Jonathan and Laura, they're just super nice people. You know, and it was really cool. I took so many notes during the movie, and I had so much I wanted to ask them. Yeah, I, I, I came off like hyper. I know it was crazy. I was like, "There's so many things I, I want to talk to rap about. you like four times." I know. Like. Poor producer Shar is giving me the rap signal, and I kind of saw it out of the corner of my eye. And I'm like, maybe she'll believe I just didn't see that. That kind of kept going. But then at the end, I was like, "Okay, sorry. <laughs> I know I'm monopolizing the time, but I, it was just it was great. Go see the movie City of Gold, but first listen to the interview. Here you go." Welcome to another episode of Radio Rehab. I'm Dana, and I'm here in studio with Jonathan Gold and director Laura Gabbert for the movie City of Gold, which I just watched last night, and I loved. I'm so excited about this. I thought I was watching a movie about food, and what I'm watching is an open love letter to Los Angeles, which I, I didn't expect to be crying. I'm like, I, I mean, I was in t I loved it. I absolutely loved the movie. I wrote so many things down about it. Okay, first, well, first of all, Laura, why? What made you do this? What made you do a movie about, about food? About, um, oh. well, I was interested really in Jonathan, yeah. Jonathan's writing and his criticism, and um, you know, I had read him for years. I had, I'm not from Los Angeles. I had moved there to go to school, and I. Um, you know, really didn't want to live there. I had all those kind of prejudices people have about the city. Uh -huh. And um, I started reading Jonathan, and I think just through the years, it really just helped me sort of see the city differently and experience it differently and got me out of my comfort zone and, you know, left the west side where I was, because I was near UCLA. Oh, and, right, Westwood. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then years later, our kids ended up at the same school, and I bid on a dinner with the critic, Jonathan Gold, at a, a silent auction fundraiser um, and won and sort of broached the subject with Jonathan there. And I don't remember, there wasn't like a, there wasn't like a you know, a moment when I was like, I want to make a film about Jonathan Gold, but it was, I knew I wanted to do something in Los Angeles and be local, and he was the perfect subject. I love it. Um, so being, now I live in the Bay Area, but I grew up in Los Angeles. I lived there for almost 19 years. It's my home. I consider it my home. And... We deal with all these prejudices here, especially in the Bay Area. People hate L.A. Mm -hmm. People in L.A. don't hate San Francisco, you know, but people hate L.A. And I get really angry and, you know, yeah. excited about it. And, Jonathan, you worded it in the movie. It, I'm going to use this now sure. all the time. Okay. <laughs> you said everybody thinks they know L.A. When you live there, you have to have it explained to you by people who come in and they stay in Beverly Hills and they have their rental car and they're only going like, what, 10 minutes away from their hotel and they're eating in Beverly Hills and it's like this whole Kardashian atmosphere that isn't real. L.A. is way bigger than that. I love the way you worded that. Thanks. I mean, L.A., the metro L.A. is like 18 million people. 
It's huge. You can get in your car and you can drive for a hundred miles, and you were, for all intents and purposes, still in Los Angeles. Yeah. The the mini malls are the same. The 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 gas stations are the same. The people you see are the same. I mean, you really have to almost go over mountains to get away from the city. Yeah, exactly. Whereas San Francisco is like seven square miles, and L.A. is this, and it really is a melting pot. It's a, and downtown L.A. was like when I was growing up an untapped treasure. You know, people didn't really go to downtown L.A. Mm -hmm. unless you had a reason to go there. I love downtown L.A. and I really like how you're at the Central Market uh, for a lot of the movie and you're talking about how that's kind of changing now. Yeah, well, the the neighborhood's changed. I know everybody hates the word gentrification, but... um... Downtown went from a place where almost nobody lived or people who lived there lived in, like, you know, uh, SROs. like, And it's it's become like Tribeca, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. there, suddenly there are 40,000 people that live there. And suddenly the neighborhood is, I guess, affluent in a way that it hadn't been in a while. And Broadway, the main is been the main street of sort of Latino Los Angeles for a long time in the Grand Central Market, which is, um, I guess it's a little like the ferry market here, but it's a center with, you know, food stalls and tiny restaurant counters and butcher shops and places to buy mole and things like that, has gotten more like the neighborhood it's in rather than like the neighborhood it was in. And it upsets some people. I mean, yeah. like you could go to Belcampo and pay, you know, $39 a pound for meat instead of, you know, paying two fifty nine a pound for meat at the old Mexican uh, meat market that was before, that there was there before. And yeah, it's, you know, the, the cows are, grazed on pasture land in the uh, shadow of Mount Shasta. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or massaged or whatever Kobe <laughs> beef is. Like what is that? <laughs> but but it's it's still it's still a it's still a different vibe. Yeah, and well one thing I really love is that this isn't about a food critic who goes to these shishi restaurants at Spago. Like you go to these little family run almost hole in the wall places and all of a sudden they can't serve enough food for the influx of people that come in because people read your reviews. Well, I write about Spago, too. I'm the, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm the critic for the LA Times. I can't avoid that stuff. But I, th- I think some of the best food in the city is being served in communities that aren't often covered, even by newspapers like mine. Um, and... I'm not going there because, you know, I'm the great white explorer, you know, (laughs) giving his a perimeter, which is something that some people are taking away from this. It's just that I feel I have to write about everything. I feel I have to explore everything. There's there's so much culture in the world of food, and there's so much food in the world of culture. And I think it's important to cover them together as a single thing rather than to sort of only write about places that uh, you can go to on an expense account. Right. What I well, what I got from it is like you really love L.A. and you're showing people how much depth there is to L.A. In one part of the movie, and I was going to ask you what exactly you meant by this. I kind of felt like it, but you said there's a thereness under the thereness. <clears throat> that um, <clears throat> there's a sense of place in the best parts of the city that 
you can be nowhere else in Earth. You can be in a part of town where only people from Central America live, basically, mm-hmm. where there's you know Salvadorans and Guatemalans and Hondureños, but who are all cooking the food of their own countries for themselves, yet they're doing it within the context of Los Angeles. And you walk into a place and it may feel as if you're in Honduras, but you're also in Los Angeles. And that sort of bubble within a bubble is a lot of what the city's about, I think. Oh, I I totally agree. I mean, that's why I miss L.A., because there was so much going on there. You really don't need to leave. Uh, when you do, it's just hard to get back for some reason. But I I totally miss it. Um, one thing I, I noticed from this is that, and this is something I had never really thought about an article on mm-hmm. food or a food critic, is that it's not about the rest. It's not about like just describing the way the food tastes. It's you're kind of telling the story of your experience. It's more of a story, and it's almost like people are getting to see what it's like to eat there through like it's a full-on experience basically one of the things that most surprised me when i saw the rough cut of the film is that there was at least as much time in the film spent uh looking at me from behind the wheel of my truck Uh as there is of me at table of driving from place to place, of being stuck in rush hour traffic on the Harbor Freeway. I know, I saw that. I was like, because, you know, I'm from LA, so I'm looking at, there's yeah. that, there's yeah. that. And, and you did mention uh, the riots and how the city has changed after the riots. I remember when our teacher came into my classroom and said, they just they just handed out the verdict, you guys should go home. And I remember driving home, and the city was on fire. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember being on the five, you know, coming home from Loxa, where and it was like, because, you know, to get to North Hollywood from Waxa, you got to right. drive through all yeah. that. And it was just a complete... How do you feel like the riots changed the food industry in Los Angeles? Um, it's more guarded in a way. And the communities, if anything, are slightly more insular than they were before. That that you go to any restaurant in Koreatown, even just a tiny place with three tables, there will be a guard in the parking lot. right. Which is definitely something that stemmed from that. But in other ways, the uh, Korean community, I mean, Koreatown was at a heart of a lot of what happened during the riots. I mean, I I lived in the neighborhood at the time, and the block next to mine uh, was essentially burned to the ground. They had, uh, you know, footage of the charred mini malls on Vermont. I mean, as the background for the news for like weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, but the the community realized that they couldn't spend all their time looking inward, that they had to look out, that they had to engage in certain ways. And the end result of that, along with so many other things, ends up being like the Kogi trucks, which is at the heart of the, yes. the food truck revival in the, the United States, where you have, you know, a, a Korean guy raised in Los Angeles who's cooking, you know, delicious tacos filled with Korean grilled meats. It's sort of the entire city encapsulated in one bite of food. Yeah, it's almost like the food version of a mashup. It's like, it's cool, and he's giving you all these different aspects. Because um, I, I remember that when he was specifically talking about this is what you would find if uh, you went into a Korean kid's refrigerator. It's what they find when they go into their mother's refrigerator at home, and also they're stoned. 
so they've got the munchies. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love that. I'm like, that is the best description of food I've ever heard in my life. That was perfect. Another thing I really loved, I, I mean, I loved KCRW, who's where I started. Like, I love your whole, I love the, uh, the music, the punk rock scene. How did you choose the music, Laura, for the movie? How did you choose the underlying music? Um, well, most of the music, or a good two-thirds of the music, is um, all composed by Bobby Johnston. So he, he scored it, you know, and that's just a process of working kind of with the footage and giving me sketches, and then we kind of talk about it, and he writes it. And then we license music, too, all uh-huh. the, you know, the, from Jonathan being a guest on Garth Turnadad's, uh, you know, guest DJ project. So we license that music, and I, I felt like that was really important to show, you know, because music criticism was such an important part of Jonathan's past and his evolution as a critic. And it just evoked such different kind of periods of his life. Right. Um, and we could almost make these little, you know, urban symphonies out of each one of them, which was really fun to do. Right. Another another way you got to know the city of, of L.A. is, I mean, you, you were... You were a music critic, and you were right. in the studio what, with Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, <laughs> and like the whole Long Beach thing. That I didn't, I didn't know that before I saw the movie. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I I come from the punk rock scene, but I guess I started writing about music, um, mostly hip hop for the LA Weekly and for the for the LA Times, and I wrote about a lot of the early stuff, and I wrote the, um, I guess the article about NWA that's still the one that people refer to now. And that was a long time ago. But I was doing a cover story for Rolling Stone on uh, Snoop and Dre when they were making the Doggy Style album. And they were so reluctant to be interviewed that I would go to the studio every day and just hang out until one of them would decide to talk to me or until not. they just warm up to you yeah. a little bit. And sometimes they didn't, but I, I think I ended up going there like 30 or 40 times mm-hmm. during the course of reporting the piece. And just the idea of being in the studio when that stuff was going on is just astonishing, right? Oh, yeah. And I mean, you could still get your perspective on it. And that's one thing about you is you're really good at telling a story. I mean, this whole the whole movie tells a story, the way it was directed, the way the music was in it. I mean, I just thought it was perfect. I really loved that. I loved all the music stuff. I was going to ask you, um, so as far as like music and punk rock, actually, mm-hmm. and food yeah. go together, there was this place in downtown L.A. that I learned about in high school. Of course, I was too young to really be you know in with the hipper crowd, but it was called Troy Cafe. And I think... Um, her name was B.B. Hansen. It turned out to be mm-hmm. Beck's mom. I didn't oh, even yeah. know B. that. B. But yeah. like, yeah. so we would go there and there would be punk shows and like the woman from the Alice Bag Band was there. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize that was her. And then it was this cool little restaurant in this community. And this is in downtown L.A. where, of course, in the Valley, they're like, what's in downtown L.A.? You know, like, Skid Row. Like, they have no idea what's in downtown L.A. But I remember like the cover of the menu, she had, um, she had, uh, Andy War it was like an Andy Warhol scene that she was actually there and had actually like taken that picture. And it's just this untapped treasure, you know, right next to like Japantown. That it's mm-hmm. like and then another thing that speaking of Japantown is we had friends of ours that come in came in from Japan. Uh they were went on tour with this Japanese musician named Yazawa and we took them to an Indian restaurant. So what's it called? Keef, that rice pudding thing. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Oh, Kier. Yeah, Kier. So he's eating that. And, you know, we just had this wonderful Indian meal, and this Japanese guy from Japan eats it, and he had to spit it out. And we're like, we're not understanding what's wrong with it. And he's talking about how, to him, that was like us putting, like, sugar on potatoes and, and like, putting some milk in it. And I feel like now the ethnic food is almost changed so that 
it almost can go with anyone's palate. Like there can be a huge mix. Sort of, but in, in another way, it also it's not the food that's changing in the best circumstances. It's the people. Us. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's something I talk about sometimes about you know going to restaurants that I really dislike at first and looking around and realizing that wait no these people are making the food they mean to be making that i'm not liking this because i'm coming at it from the wrong way that it's that i'm looking at it from a certain cultural perspective where i need to come around to the other one and so there are for example um like in, in Cambodian cooking, there's a dish called the amok that's um, like fish that's uh, put with um, coconut milk and chilies and wrapped in a banana leaf and steamed, and it becomes a pudding. But if you put that fish pudding in front of a French person, I mean, yeah. you, you would get fi- you would get fired from your cooking job. But within the context of Cambodian cuisine, it's the most delicious thing you could eat, right? Right. Well, that's another question I have. Do you do you go to restaurants and kind of keep changing your objective until you come to a favor- favorable standpoint so that you don't have to write anything unfavorable? Well, sometimes food just sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you did, that has to be said. It's not all that I'm not getting it. But I try to understand what I'm writing about from the point of view of the people who are cooking it and serving it. That is just inextricable from the process. If somebody is doing something that is slightly odd, you have to understand why they're doing it, what they're trying to do with it, and whether they succeed. Somebody might be trying to do something odd, and it's just dreadful. <laughs> it's just weird for weird yeah. sake. Right. Now, um, the other, I was going to ask also, is, is there any food that you just, like, won't eat? Is there anything that you don't, that you're like, uh-uh, I just won't even try that? Or will you? are you pretty much open to trying everything? I'm pretty open, but if somebody... There's, there's just something about a poached egg on food. I mean, I always like gingerly <laughs> lift it off and eat the food underneath. And, and you know, it's like totally faddish. I mean, sometimes you, you go to a restaurant and every single dish will have like a poached egg or a fried egg on it. Right. I know. I'm the same way with like when I eat the crab and they put the whole the little head on it and it's looking at you here. I just have to move that and like cover it with a towel. I'll still eat it and, you know, like a caveman, dig through it and get the body meat out. But like I don't like to see it looking at me. No, I absolutely love that you mentioned Junior's. Junior's is a restaurant that I grew up eating at. I mean, all of us in the Valley did. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, we were there when other people were at church on Sundays. We were at Junior's or Jerry's or Dupar's. And I love that you bring that up because it's not like you were raised eating all of this ethnic food and and like it was in your blood and and you were just accustomed to that. You you ate at Deli's. By the way, there's no matzo ball soup to be had anywhere in the Bay Area, which depresses me. But... Yeah, you're... Really? Wow. Yeah, sad. I know, it's sad. But you mentioned places like Junior's, and you grew up yeah. eating food like that. Do you still go to, you know... Oh, yeah, I still go to delis. I mean, I I also grew up eating... I mean, my mom was a decent cook, but didn't bother with her three sons because she knew we'd probably just push it aside anyway. So there was a lot of, you know, craft Dinner and Hamburger Helper right. and Noodles Romanoff and <laughs> <laughs> Rice right. Aroni, the San Francisco treat. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, Whatever's easier. <laughs> I mean, the, you know, we distinctly did not grow up eating, you know, 
you know, uh, exotic food. I mean, in in our household, shrimp was exotic. My mom wouldn't eat seafood, so she'd occasionally make it, but she'd boil it until you could play ping pong with it. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I also heard said in... In this documentary, and I'm wondering how it worked. How does this documentary give us the illusion of understanding food or L.A.? Because you were saying, you know, reviews and documentaries give you the illusion of understanding something. How do you feel like this documentary gives us the illusion of understanding food in Los Angeles? Well, it definitely goes to different neighborhoods. And I, I mean, Laura put it together like super skillfully. There's a uh, overlay of maps that appears often. Right. Yes, I love that because I'm going. Oh, there's that. There's that. How was that year, Laura? Was that your? Was that what you had in mind when you were doing it? Was to give us that I, picture of yeah. Los Angeles? Um, yeah, it was. I mean, I really followed Jonathan's lead, and he would take us places, but I, I definitely wanted to show the vastness and then also kind of these little tiny microcosms, these little contained communities, as Jonathan calls them, too. So the the, the motion graphics of the maps were was great, you know? Yeah. Because you could get real, real perspective and just see how, you know, massive it is. Right, and other people, like when you're from a different area, they don't really know L.A. Right. And I mean, even when I was there, I wasn't exactly sure. I mean, I went to the high school that was like in Alhambra, but I wasn't quite sure where that was in relation to where I went home at night, which was North Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. it, so that was yeah, really yeah. cool to give you perspective on like where yeah. Santa Monica is and how far a chain goes right, and right. I, things like that. I loved, but I loved following you around in your truck. I know, I don't know what. Why, why did you do that? Why did we follow him around? Why did we watch yeah, um, him in the car? I mean, a couple of reasons. First of all, it was it was it was just a really nice place to interview him. You know, it's like I think there's something about um, you know when you're driving, like you're on a road trip or something, and there's conversation and there's nice pauses, and I definitely wanted it to feel a little more like looser, not like a formal interview, even though we do use formal interviews too. Um, but then I just think a big part of Jonathan's writing is is about, it is about this journey and it's about exploring and being curious. And to do that in Los Angeles, you have to get in your car. Oh, you know? yeah, to and, do anything in Los Angeles, yeah. And, it's, and it's, I just thought it was interesting to see, you know, hear him talk about the city or talk about whatever and then be able to cut to shots of the city and just show the like the richness and the kind of weirdness and the beauty, um, you know, and all of that. So it's exactly how I would describe it. I mean, her, her earlier films, I thought, were more sort of classic verite. I mean, she just turned the camera on and she'd point it. And unlike a lot of other people, she there were very few interviews. It was like they'd set up the sound, they'd set up the camera, they'd get the... They'd get the light right and then it was sort of okay be clever (laughs) (laughs) and you know whenever whenever anybody charm us (laughs) and whenever anybody does that everybody's natural inclination is just to clam up right yeah of course and i thought maybe that's why there were so many people in there talking to you that you know that are friends of yours i mean all the way down to your kids and your wife yeah because we got to really see you because you're going to be you with them Mm -hmm. right Anyway, I loved it. City of Gold is open in theaters in the Bay Area today. Uh, won awards at Sundance, South by Southwest. I mean, I absolutely love this movie. Like I said, I feel like it's an open love letter to Los Angeles that I was included in, and I just felt blessed to be included in it. And I also want to move back to LA now. <laughs> uh, and you. we're also going to open the show with Funkadelic for just ah. for you, but for me because I love that. I absolutely loved it. 
I was so happy to have Maggot Brain as part of the soundtrack. I was so happy to see that, and that's going to be part of the show. Cool. It's going to be part of this episode. So that's great. thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Laura thank Gabbert you. and Jonathan Gold. So thank you guys for be being here. on Radio yeah. Radio. Thanks so much. Well, there you have it, folks. There was the interview. Uh, Jonathan Gold from City of Gold. Laura Gabbert, director and producer of City of Gold. I hope you go see it. I'm talking like official selection at Sundance, South by Southwest. Doc NYC. It's this is it's a great movie, and it's if you think it's about food, it's not. And I hope you got that from the interview. Yeah, it's in uh, it's in Bay Area theaters right now, so I believe it's in uh, if for for local for local peeps in the Bay Area. I think it's in Berkeley, San Francisco, and uh, maybe somewhere up north. Right, and I'm sure if you're listening on the East Coast, because I know we got a lot of listeners over there, and I'm sure it opened in New York pretty oh, quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. No, well, obviously, it's, I think it's the big three, you know, New York, L.A., and San Francisco. All right, so fun. Such a good time. And write us. Look at our pictures. Send us emails, text, call us. Radio Rehab, go to productions.com. That's G-O-T-O productions.com. The phone number is 415-496-9511. You can call or text anytime on the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram, and soon to be the YouTube, Radio Rehab Dana. Oh, look, there's John Doe and Exine Cervenka. See you next time, folks. <laughs>